Yeah. So, uh, you know, I used to do weddings as a pastor. And then we got a staff person, the uh, first one, and he said, what's my job? I says, to do weddings. <laughs> and so I haven't done a wedding in like, oh, I don't know, it's been 20 years, I think. And uh, but I think the last wedding I did was one of my kids's. Uh, so sometimes people will ask me to do wedding, and I say, well, I haven't done a wedding for quite a few years, and you don't want me to do it, because if I did it, it would just turn out rotten. And so somebody said, why didn't you like doing weddings? Because I, the, it, the potential for doing something dumb was so high. <laughs> and and the, what it was was the order of service. Every person that got married wanted it done different. If they just had a standard like they used to do in the old days, I mean, you didn't ask. You just did it. This is the order of service that weddings were done. But now everybody wants to do it all unique, unique and different. And so I had this order of service that I had to follow and it was all different and I knew I was going to mess up. It was so much stress. It was awful, terrible. I can handle anything but weddings. Whoa. And uh, so if you want me to do your wedding, uh, sorry. <laughs> so uh, we've been talking prophecy and there's a sort of an order of events that occur and so the difference in when you write, read books on it, that's kind of the difference there is. Some believe this is first, some believe it's last, and anywhere. So we're going to give you what I believe is the sanctified, holy position. Uh, this was the order of service. It might be wrong. We'll find out. You know, we'll find out one of these days how it is. So one of the, uh, we're going to do a, I'm going to give you the order of service today. I'm going to get started here because it's complicated. And then next week, I'm going to have some boxes. Oh, maybe three foot square. Just some cardboard boxes. Each one's going to have on every side written a name or a word that indicates an event that occurs. And they'll be up here on the stage. And I'm just going to randomly pick somebody and say, Hey, come up and put these boxes in order. And we're all going to watch you. <laughs> now you will know the stress I felt at weddings with everybody watching and saying, no, 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 you got it wrong. So I'm not really going to do that. But let's pretend we are. That way you'll pay attention today, okay? So in your notes, number one, the first event that's going to occur is the rapture of the church. So this is the place where there's lots of disagreements. If you read books on the topic of uh, eschatology, you will see this put any place and every place from beginning to end and also those who just basically chuck it all together. Uh, so we're going to put it first. I just really believe it is number one uh, event that's going to occur. 1 Corinthians 15.50 I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. That means we won't all die. But we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. That is, those of us who are alive. First Thessalonians 4.15 For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. That is, those who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive will remain uh, and remain will be caught up. Now, one of the things that people will say is the word rapture is not in the Bible. 
You see that word caught up. The Greek word for caught up is harpazo. And when the Greek was translated into Latin, which was translated in Latin before it was translated into English, the Latin word is rapturo, rapture. And so when somebody says not in the Bible, say, oh, yes, it is. You just don't know Latin. If you knew Latin, read Latin, you would see where it is. But that's where it is, caught up. We go up, meet Jesus in the air. The word for the two of us coming together, him coming down, us going up, that word, harpazo, is the word that was translated in the Latin rapture. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. So we have uh, two events that are significant. Jesus coming back before the tribulation and after the tribulation. After the tribulation, he comes down, lands on the planet Earth. The rapture, he only comes down somewhere in the air, and we meet him there and all go back. So this is sort of a halfway coming. This is all the way coming, separated by seven years. People get those two mashed together all the time, end up with hash theology, which makes zero sense. It hash tastes all right, but it's not so good when you use it with theology. Number A, so we'll look at some aspects of, uh, that's number one, so I don't want you to get confused. One will be first event, now here's some things about the rapture. A, the rapture is a signless event. That there is not a, pro a prophecy that yet needs to be fulfilled before the Lord can come. It is imminent, it can happen in any moment. Now I went through about a month ago, a little over a month ago, gave you 10 or 20, I forget how many reasons why I believe the rapture was happening first, and one of them was this right here. Uh, if it's an, an event that's going to occur with nothing happening before it and the sense of no prophecy needs to happen in order for it to happen, well then it's probably going to be first. The writers of the New Testament believed that Jesus was coming in their lifetime. So just read what they wrote. They believed it's going to happen tomorrow. Well, it's going to happen tomorrow, then not much needs to happen before he's going to come. It's an imminent event. 1 Corinthians 1, 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you're waiting for him to come any moment. 1 Corinthians 16, 22, if anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Maranatha, Maranatha. You know what Maranatha meant? Jesus, right now, come right now, today, today, please, 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 please. Maranatha. That's what they said to each other. Maranatha, 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 Maranatha to you. Jesus is coming any day, today. Oh, man, I hope he does. Maranatha. Be a great word to resurrect, wouldn't it? Philippians 4, 5. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Revelations 22, 20. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Come, 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 Lord Jesus. Any moment he is coming. Philippians 3.20 Our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior. We eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come, coming any minute now. Titus 2.12, instructing us to deny ungodliness, worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. James 5.7, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. 
The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. The coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. The judge is standing right at the door. And so every generation has believed this is when Jesus is coming. And so I'm pretty sure it's going to be today, personally. I thought that yesterday, and I'll think that tomorrow, if we're still here tomorrow. That's the way we're supposed to live, every day being the last day. So B, the rapture of the church was a mystery, previously unrevealed truth until the Apostle Paul. Revelation, that is what God communicates to us that's in the Bible, was progressive. Now, I'm not using the word politically, okay? Progressive is not a good word politically. Progressive is truth when we talk about revelation. And that simply means is that Genesis is first. And the content in Genesis was first. There, have you ever read the name Jesus in the book of Genesis? No. Why? God didn't tell us Jesus' name in the book of Genesis. It was a Later, we get the name Jesus. So we have the Bible given to us progressively over time. And the word mystery was a term that was applied to truth that was given that had never previously been revealed before. And so the rapture, us meeting Jesus in the air halfway between here and heaven, was a mystery that had never previously been revealed by God to the church until the apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. It's sort of like saying, I have a secret. Would you like in on it? Give me a buck and I'll tell it to you. It's about Pastor Mike. No one has ever heard this before. Is he in here? I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. That is, we will not all die, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the tr last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. So, any information in the Bible before this date, this event, is not about the rapture. It might look like the rapture, it may sound like the rapture, because we understand the rapture, but you can't read here back to here. You read and understand the Bible progressively. <clears throat> see the first thing that happens this is all stuff I already covered and so if you think wow go back and pick up a, 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 one of the earlier class lessons the first thing see the first thing that happens is that we get a glorified body you watch those superhero mo movies you know Superman Batman uh, all those dudes that can do things that nobody else can do eh, they're gonna be nothing compared with us yeah they're gonna be absolutely Wimpos compared with us. Philippians 3.20 Our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform. We're going to be transformers. We're going to go from a little car, Volkswagen, to a monster. Ha! Transform the body of our humble state. My body is incredibly humble in that it is wimpy, weak, aches into conformity with the body of his glory. That means we will get a body just like that of Jesus by the exertion of the power that he 
Jesus has, even to subject all things to himself, by his power he's going to change me so that I have a body like him and it's going to be amazing what I will be able to do. D, we will take off from the ground and meet Jesus in the air. How cool is that going to be? You know, I go uh, skydiving once a year. I missed last year. I don't remember why. I think I missed the year before. When I say go once a year, that's my goal to go once a year. I've been about five times, I think. And so when you jump out of the airplane, you free fall for a bit. That's cool. And then, boom, they pull the chute. And now the guy that's, it's, it's a tandem jump. The guy that you're with is strapped on your back, and he's talking right here all the time. So as soon as the chute opens, he says this, you want to steer? Got two handles. And you pull them, and you can make the thing go just about anywhere you want. It's like flying. And you know what I say? I think I'll let you steer, and I'll just enjoy the scenery. <laughs> so I have this question. When we get, hmm, glorified all of a sudden hear the trumpet and we take off going to meet Jesus in the air do I get to steer am I going to be able to say hey there's Mike I think I'll go over there and see Mike oh there's Joe let's go over and see Joe and am I going to get to steer or am I just along for the ride I don't know but it's going to be cool it's going to be absolutely amazing this takeoff and I'm hoping I think I've told you this before we go really slow to start with so that I can sort of say sorry sorry see you <laughs> No, that's cruel. That's awful, isn't it? Uh, did I read 1 Thessalonians 4.15 to you? No. Um, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And that's going to be cool. Acts 1, 9, after he had said these things, this is Jesus, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you, taken up, caught up, that's what we're going to experience, exactly what Jesus did right there will come in just the same way we have watched him go. He will come back in the same way and we will meet him in the air, in the rapture. E, Jesus takes us to heaven and we stay there with him until we return with him at the second coming. So what are we going to do for those seven plus years in heaven? If it were perfect, we'd be fishing. We could be standing, you know, looking down what's happening here during the time and, and cheering people on and I don't know and the, the judgment seat of the Christ will occur during the seven years but we'll be up there for a bit of time Philippians 3.20 for our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a savior the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself we are in heaven during the tribulation with our glorified body uh, having a great time, doing whatever. Number two, now we've covered one thing, one box, rapture. So next week when you come up here, where's the box with the rapture? Yeah, okay, it's first. Number two, there will be an indisclosed period of time between the rapture of the church and the beginning of the tribulation. So we're going to call that on the box undisclosed intermission. Intermission. You know what an intermission is? 
is when the first reel runs out and they got to change the second reel on. I guess that was in the old days. Uh, anyway, there's an intermission. You get to go to the bathroom, buy some popcorn, do whatever. There's a break. So there's going to be an intermission. We don't know how long it's going to be. It might be an hour. It might be five years. But there's going to be a little bit of a break between boom, when we take off in the official beginning of the seven-year tribulation period. There's a number of things that can occur and happen in there, and we'll point those out. Number three, the judgment seat of Christ. So we don't know exactly when this is going to happen. It will happen sometime after the rapture, before the second coming. That's a seven-year span of time. My personal opinion is that some of you are going to get so many rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, it's going to take all seven years just to get everybody standing before Jesus and their life reviewed, held accountable, be rewarded for the good. Now, some of you are going to take like five seconds. No, those guys are outside. You all in here, you're going to take a while. So... You know, it doesn't, but it's going to be, every person is going to stand before Jesus, give an account of their life, be rewarded, recompensed for the deeds of the down of the body, whether good or bad. And our rewards are what we're going to use as we live in the millennium and serving and living with Jesus. So that will happen before then. And so we stand before him. Second Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, every one of us. We're going to appear before him so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Question, somebody said, well, is it going to be just one at a time? It says we're going to stand before Jesus, each one. Each one. It sounds like it's going to be kind of an individual deal. I don't know if he's going to do it in a group thing or not. <laughs> I think it's just going to be your turn, your turn. Who wants to be first? <laughs> it's kind of scary, isn't it, to think about standing before Jesus and giving an account? of what you did here during your life and the possibility of getting zero rewards that's sort of spooky but it's coming every one of us and so we want to do well so you might have a day you might have a lifetime whatever make it count and so it takes a long time when it's your turn and the fourth thing the Jewish temple will be rebuilt it will be rebuilt, and we're going to call it the third temple. It's not called that anywhere, but it's third built, and, uh, it, or, or the tribulational temple. If you read books on the prophecy, you'll see the, the term third temple or tribulational temple. And it's built uh, either before the tribulation starts or shortly after it starts. And there will be the sacrificial system reinstated. And so it'll occur sometime between the start and the middle of the tribulation period. And so we're going to make it number four of the rebuilding of the temple. Number five, the seven-year tribulation period on the earth will be a time of incomprehensible trials. That will be the fifth thing. Uh, and some of these kind of happen simultaneously. The seven-year tribulation period. So sometimes people will say, well, I think it already happened. When did it happen? Well, it happened after Jerusalem was destroyed and all that bad stuff happened. Uh, that was a bad thing, but some people will think that the First World War was worse or the Vietnam War was worse. Or, I mean, there's other things that come as close, certainly lasted longer than the destruction of Jerusalem and all the, the things that happened then. Um, Jesus in Matthew 24 says, For there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred, since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. How bad is that? 
Never been anything worse, nor there will ever be anything worse. It's a bad time, the tribulation. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those years will be cut short. Somebody said, it looks like it could be shorter than seven years. I think maybe that's just a way of saying, that's why it's only seven years. If it were longer, there wouldn't be anybody living. Trivia question. You get an A for the class if you get this right. Of all the events that occur in prophecy, all the things that are written about, the kingdom, the rapture, the second coming, all this stuff, what event is written about in the Bible more than any other event? Did you read my notes? I get an A. You get an A. A in your notes. The tribulation period is written about more than any other topic in prophecy. Probably was a good guess in that I'm talking about the tribulation, huh? So of all the prophetic events that occur, it's written about more than any other. So if it's written about more than any other, it must be significant and it must be real. It's funny that a seven-year period in all the history of mankind would be the number one topic written about in the Bible. Be the tribulation period is called by at least a dozen different names. I was going to give them all to you, but I thought, well, I won't do that. Um, and that's at least, it could be like 15, 16. I didn't count them all, but over a dozen. Here's a few. The day of the Lord, the wrath of God, the time of Jacob's trouble, the 70th week of Daniel, the day of vengeance, the day of distress, the hour of judgment. And that's just half of them. See, the beast... The Antichrist will be the main guy during the tribulation, ruling and reigning as king of the world. I asked this question in one of my classes recently. What's the strategy of the devil? And they said, well, to make our life miserable. No, that's his goal. What's his strategy? What's the strategy of the devil in everything that he does? The strategy, the plan. To do it exactly what God did. Everything he does is an imitation of what God has done or will do. Everything. He imitates God because he wants to be better than God, so he does everything the way he did it or does it. Um, so who's going to rule during the millennium? All through the Bible it says, Jesus will be king of the earth. Antichrist. The term Antichrist the opposite of, or the opposer of, or in place of. And so, the tribulation, Satan is going to make him the king of the world, just like Jesus is during the kingdom. Revelation 13, they worshiped the dragon, that's the devil, because he gave his authority. The devil gave his authority to the beast. The word beast means man. Uh, it was a man, the word beast, because in the book of Daniel, various beasts are used to illustrate uh, Nebuchadnezzar and various world rulers. Um, and so he's called a beast. So the devil, the dragon, gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast and who is able to wage war with him? There was given to him a, month, a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months. as three and a half years. So the big authority that he has is the last three and a half years of the tribulation. 
And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. That's a lot of authority. He's king of the world. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone who dwells on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who has been slain. So he's the dude, he's the guy, he's in charge, he's running the show during the tribulation period. D, the tribulation officially begins with the signing of a peace treaty between Israel and the world brokered by the Antichrist. Now this is probably what's going to gain him his notoriety, his ability to pull all these countries that are after Israel and he makes a peace treaty with the world and Israel is at the center of it. This very well could be part of the treaty to rebuild the temple. But the treaty is signed and he becomes cool. Daniel 9.27, he, speaking of this Antichrist, the beast, will make a firm covenant with many, with the many, with the many. That's like the world. For one week, one week, seven days, seven years. Daniel 70 weeks, each uh, day stands for a year. For one week, the tribulation. But in the middle... In the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. Uh, that's how we know that sacrifices will be happening. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, makes desolate. He is going to really pour it on in the last three and a half years, even until a complete destruction. One that is decreed is poured out on one who makes desolate. So the Antichrist will sign a covenant at the beginning. In the middle, he breaks it. E, in the middle of the tribulation period, the Antichrist breaks the treaty, desecrates the temple, declares himself to be God. So next week, our lesson is going to be on a Greek uh, dude who is a type of the Antichrist. We know that because Daniel says he is. And so we can look at what he actually did. He's history. Lots written about him. And see what he does because he is a prophecy in real life of the Antichrist who is yet to come. And so it's kind of cool to say, okay, what did he do? We'll see what the next guy is going to do. And um, that's going to be a fun lesson. It's lots of information on that guy. Uh, I hope I get it all studied well. Second Thessalonians 2, 3. No, let, no one, uh, let no one in any way deceive you for it that is, the tribulation, will not come unless the apostasy, and remember we did the one on the rapture, the word apostasy, I'm saying is the rapture, is the rapture. Uh, unless the apostasy, that is, this departure, comes first. Tribulation won't come. The people thought they were in it, and Paul's saying, no, 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 don't worry, don't worry. It won't come until the apostasy comes, and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. He takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. That will be in the middle of the tribulation. That happens. F, the judgments of God that occur during the tribulation are the seven sealed judgments. Sealed judgments are first. There's seven of them. And under the seventh one, we'll open up the seven trumpet judgments. And on the last trumpet judgment will open up the seven bowl judgments and if you read Revelation 6 through 16 that passage in Revelation describes those 
events, the seals, the trumpets, the bowls, and each one gets worse. Each one gets worse, and they tend to speed up towards the end, so it's just boom, boom, it's just chaotic. Sometimes uh, I say to people, you think the weather is bad now? If you don't trust Jesus, you're going to see some real weather problems. Six, okay, we've covered five boxes up here on the stage with names on them. Okay, we just covered the tribulations. Number six, the third temple is destroyed. The one that's built at the beginning will get destroyed before Jesus comes back or when he does come back during the battle of Armageddon. But somewhere it's going to get annihilated. Some of these can fudge a little bit. And if you get number six ahead of uh, number seven, eh, it won't be that big a deal. But we'll put it six. Number seven, all of Israel repents and turns to Christ as their Messiah. So a little quish, uh, tw uh, trivia question. Why the tribulation? Written about more than any other event in the Bible. What's the purpose of the tribulation? There are seven purposes. We went through that. Actually, five uh, Number one is to convince Israel that Jesus is Messiah. Um, and all of Israel that's alive will turn to Christ and believe that he is indeed the Messiah. Romans 11.25, I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery. Of this mystery, there's the word again. So that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. That is, every person that's going to be added to the church, every person that's going to get saved is added. And so all Israel will be saved. All Israel will be saved. And so one of the distinguishing uh, characteristics of certain prophetic opinions and views is that Israel is the people of God. They are and they will be and they always will be. We have not replaced Israel uh, the church because they crucified Christ. Lots of people teach that is not true. All Israel will be saved just as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them. This is my covenant. God keeps his covenant. Matthew 24. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. They will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. And so do you know how many people read that and think that's the rapture? This is Matthew 24. The rapture wasn't revealed until Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus is talking about the nation of Israel being gathered together by him. And he's talking to Jews and they understand completely what he's saying because it's written in the Old Testament repeatedly. Zechariah 10.6 I will strengthen the house of Judah and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have had compassion on them. They will be as though I had not rejected them for I am the Lord their God. I will answer them. Ephraim will be like a mighty man. Their heart will be glad as if from wine. Indeed their children will see it and be glad. Their heart will rejoice in the Lord. I will whistle for them to gather them together for I've redeemed them. They will be as numerous as they were before I'm going to gather Israel 
Amos chapter 9, also I will restore the captivity of my people Israel. They will rebuild the ruined cities, live in them. They will also plant vineyards and drink their wine, make gardens and eat their fruit. I will also plant them on their land, and they will not again be rooted out from their land, which I have given them, says the Lord our God. Has that happened yet? No. Some people will look at what has happened and say that already happened, but it's not even close. And it will happen when he comes back and they have repented. They will be gathered together uh, like the rapture and then they will be in the promised land. Number eight, Jesus returns to the earth as king. This is the second coming. So the rapture, that's the first coming in the sense of what's in the future. But he doesn't really come. He just comes up there and we go to meet him. It's partial coming. But at the end of the tribulation, then he comes back. Boom! Plants his feet on the ground. The second coming of Jesus. Revelations 19.11 I saw heaven open. Behold, a white horse and he who sat on it called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a flame name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. It's Jesus. Heaven's opened up. There he is. And A, the, here it is, cool part. The church is with him as his army. We've been in heaven for seven years at the judgment seat of Christ, having a ball, having a great time, and now here we are with Jesus and the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he retreads the wine press, press of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty and on his robe and on his thigh he has named, his name is written King of Kings, Lord of Lords. So when we come down there's going to be a battle fought. Are we going to have swords, guns, bazookas, tanks? Bombs, what are we going to do? We'll read here in a minute. B, the battle of Armageddon will now be fought with the Antichrist and the armies of the world. We, Jesus, the army of God, that's us, come down and they're all gathered here to have a battle, have a war, and a war is fought. Revelation 16, 12, the sixth angel poured out on out his bowl on the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, that's the devil, and out of the mouth of the beast, that's the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits, demons like frogs, they were spirits of demons performing signs, which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God, the Almighty, and they gathered them together to be uh, to the place which in Hebrew is called Armageddon or Armageddon. It's the uh, Valley of Megiddo. It's a big place in Israel. Big, all, everybody, all the armies from all over the world all travel to this location. And they do that because the demons send out spirits and they get in them and they prompt them, y'all come, y'all come, we're going to have a party. And so they all come, big battle. The Antichrist is captain, he's in charge, he's leading the way. And they sincerely believe they're going to be able to whip Jesus and us. And so, what am I going to do? What are you going to do? Revelations 19, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders. is talking about birds. And the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and those who sit on them, the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, small and great. And I saw the beast. I saw the beast, the Antichrist, the one leading the army. 
And the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Again, those guys think they're going to win. And the beast was seized. And with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, those who worshipped his image, these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. So what do we do? We just watch on our horses. Jesus takes them all. I don't think it takes very long either. Nine. Okay, we got eight boxes finished. We're going to run out of time. We've got to hurry. The Antichrist, the false prophet, and the devil are bound and thrown into the abyss. And the devil. They're bound and thrown into the abyss. The Antichrist and the false prophet already have been pitched there. So, Spiritual warfare, a lot of stuff written about spiritual warfare, a lot of conversations about spiritual warfare. How many angels does it take to whip Satan? We tend to think it takes a whole army, but... Then I saw an angel, an angel, that means one angel, coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss, and a great chain was in his hand. Great chain. I've got about four chains for different occasions different lengths, different sizes. This is a great chain. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, bound him for a thousand years, chained him up, wrapped him up, and threw him into the abyss. <laughs> Don't you love the sound of that? The devil chained up, thrown into the abyss, shut it, sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer till the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Number 10, there is a 75-day period of time between the Battle of Armageddon and the beginning of the millennium. So, uh, 75 days, what's it for? It's going to be a mess. The world is not pretty. There are dead people laying everywhere. Uh, I mean, it's been seven years of tribulation. Of bloody water and animals and you name it. It's just not a pretty place to be. And so we haven't done much hospitality stuff at our house for a while because my son-in-law, Thomas, is in a wheelchair, paralyzed, and susceptible, you know, if he were to get COVID. So Sherry was kind of cautious. So we just haven't had anybody over. But they both got vaccinated. Um, I think they're ready to get their second one. And so... I said, Sherry, does that mean we can have people over now? Have as many people, have the whole church over. You know the cool thing about having you over? Is the house got cleaned. <laughs> I even help sometimes. <laughs> oh, the whole world's going to get cleaned up during the seven-day period. Daniel 12, 11, from, that time that regular, uh, from the, the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. That's three and a half years. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,355th day. So you do a simple math, 75 days between the end of the tribulation and uh, when the millennial kingdom is established. Number 11, the sheep and goat judgment is held with the sheep entering the millennium. This is the judgment of the people that are still alive at the end of the tribulation. When it's all said and done, everything's been cleaned up. There's still people on the earth running around alive and they're going to get judged 
And the ones that uh, are the sheep come into the millennium alive. The ones who are the goats go to hell. And uh, you can read about that in Matthew 25. Number 12, Jesus rebuilds the millennial temple. This is the fourth temple described in Ezekiel. Thirteen, the new Jerusalem will descend from heaven and sit in Jerusalem at its designated place and the church will live in it with Jesus. Now when I did my lesson two weeks ago on the new Jerusalem, a couple of you had some questions afterwards because of a little confusion of when. Well, it's multiple places and I taught then that the new Jerusalem was probably in the Garden of Eden when things first started. God lived there. He was on the earth. The devil was in there before he got kicked out. There's several verses I showed you that said that. And then after Adam and Eve sinned and the curse came, then poof, the temple left somewhere. It's the house of God. He has always lived in it. Uh, it's the temple of God, the, the, the house of God. Do a Bible study on the term temple of God, house of God, and there's lots of references uh, to it. And uh, so Revelations 3. This is before the tribulation. One, two, three. Chapter four begins the scene in heaven. Chapter six begins the tribulation. Chapter three, he who overcomes. This is the judgment seat of Christ. That's a reward. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He will not go out from it anymore. I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who is an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. John 14, in my Father's house, that's where God lives. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. A, the new Jerusalem has always been the eternal temple of God. Always been the eternal temple of God, the house of God. And again, do a little Bible study on that. Just Google that, or not Google it, but in your Bible study program on your computer, type it in the search engine, all the references that come up. B, the new Jerusalem as the city of God, the temple of God, was in the Garden of Eden. C, Lucifer lived in the new Jerusalem before he got kicked out. And again, I showed you a number of references on that lesson on the New Jerusalem, so I'm not going to repeat them here. You can go back and pick that one up. That's a fun topic to study. D, the New Jerusalem was 11 miles square, 11 miles tall. Now, this is... Uh, I don't know what the right word is. Um, anyway, that, those exact things are not in the Bible. The, the word that's used in the Bible is 1,500 high, wide square. That would take up two-thirds to three-quarters of the United States. Uh, it would be, uh, I mean, way out into outer space. And so to have that sitting in Jerusalem or in Israel would be like, huh, that's not going to happen. It's way, way bigger. Well, the, the term stadia or stadia that's used for mile is not actually a mile. And when you take and compute it the way uh, the distance it is, it ends up being 1,320 miles. And so 
what that could be is the way they often stated things is that 1,320 is the sum of the cube. And so I, have, I do firewood, a cord of firewood is 4 by 4 by 8. That's a cube. A cubic yard of concrete is uh, 3 by 3 by 3. And so uh, the 1,320, if you cube that, it becomes out to 11. 11 times 11 times 11. Now, when you go to Ezekiel and you read the description of the property of the land, when it says Judah is going to be here and it gives you the exact dimensions, every of the 12 tribes are here, this is the temple area, there's the area that's stated for the temple that, according to the description in Ezekiel, is 11 miles square. So it's, if you do the math, 5,280 times 11 uh, squared, and then do it again and you say, that's still plenty of room for us to fit. That's a big place. You get lots of room, lots of places for houses. We'll live in that place. E, the new Jerusalem ascended, ascended back into heaven after the fall. Now here's one that, again, a kind of conjecture. Uh, the shape of the New Jerusalem is like a mountain or a pyramid rather than a cube. So what's the devil's methods? Same as God's. He was in God's temple. So you look at the pyramids, you look at the ziggurats, you look at the temples that are built all over the world when nobody really had blueprints from the other. They all look the same. They're all like a pyramid. Uh, Tower of Babel. As they read about various descriptions, it was like a mountain. And the fact that the temple of God, uh, over 25 times in the Old Testament, is called the house and the mountain of God. So it's described as a mountain, the way a mountain, Mount Adams, looks. And even doing volume 11 by 11 miles and then go just half the distance to compensate for the uh, pyramid shape of the thing, there's still lots and lots of room in there for us to fit. Gee, when the millennium is over, when the present earth and heavens are destroyed, all believers will escape in the new Jerusalem and come back to the new earth. So new heavens, the new earth, everything at the end of the millennium, there's another war fought, and we'll see that in a minute, and everything is destroyed, and so we go into the new Jerusalem, whoop, we take off, new heavens, new earth are built, we come back. It'll be the ark, as it were. Revelations 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven, the first earth passed away. There's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. They will be his people, and God himself will be among them. That's like at the end of the book, and eternity is ushered in. Fourteen, the wedding feast of the Lamb is when the church as the bride of Christ is ceremony joined with Jesus forever as his eternal companion. Now this can happen any time after the rapture. And so I'm thinking that it's going to happen after we come down because there's verses that the Jews are going to be part of it, uh, those who 
trust Jesus at the end of the tribulation. They're going to be invited as guests of the wedding, as guests of the wedding, where we uh, are ceremoniously bound to Jesus as his bride. Uh, Revelations 19.7, Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. The marriage of the Lamb, that's Jesus, has come. His bride has made herself ready. That's us. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. The fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. He said to me, These are true words. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church, gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory. That's the day of the wedding having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands, love your wives as your own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. We are the bride of Christ and the marriage supper and the marriage of the Lamb will happen probably right at the beginning of the millennium. Number 15, all Israel will be judged on whether they will enter the millennium or not. The rewards that they will, will, they will, have, and that they ha will have during the millennium. So just like we face the judgment seat of Christ as the church, all Israel will also be judged. And they will be in the kingdom or out and in. They will receive rewards for what their role and responsibility is. Ezekiel 24, I the Lord have spoken, it is coming, I will act, I will not relent, I will not pity, and I will not be sorry. According to your ways, according to your deeds, I will judge you, declares the Lord God. That's the nation of Israel. Matthew 22, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son, Jesus, and he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast. They were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out others saying, tell those who have been invited, behold, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatted livestock are all butchered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, killed them. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers, set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the kingdom, or invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets, gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. He said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. The king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that's in reference to the nation of Israel. They are the ones invited as guests. We are the bride, and Jesus is the bridegroom. 16, the millennial kingdom begins. So I'm going to go really fast now because I've only got four minutes and I don't want you flunking your test next week. A, Satan is bound. He's out of the picture. B, the curse is done, over, gone, canceled, kaput. Curse, that's uh, weeds, mosquitoes, everything that happens that makes things not work. The curse that came because of Adam is gone.
And there's a big long reference there, Isaiah 4 through 9, and I'm going to skip that. You've got the reference in your notes. You can check it and read it later. See, the church which is living in the new Jerusalem is ruling with Jesus over the world. This 11 by 11 by 11 temple of God which we are living in, we're moving, going out from that, and we're ruling the world with Christ during the thousand-year millennial kingdom. And again, there's references there that you can look up and read. There's a whole lot more than I have here as well if you study that topic. D, during the kingdom era, there will be nations, governments, and rulers. The kingdom era will be much like it is now, but no curse, no devil, and no politics because Jesus is king of the world. And again, a reference there, Isaiah 2, a lot of Isaiah uh, is about this era. So very few people read the book of Isaiah with the kingdom in mind, but read the book of Isaiah and the book of Ezekiel with the kingdom in mind, and you'll see that almost every reference uh, it describes that period. E, there will be farming, fishing, schools, businesses. It's going to be a great time because you get a limb and a fish every time you go. Farming is going to be awesome. If those who enter the millennial alive from the tribulation which, with physical bodies will have babies, and the many people born during the kingdom will need to choose to follow Jesus or not. Because there's no disease, no war, most people will live the whole thousand years. That's going to be a huge population explosion. Gee, the Bible will be taught. People will, will gather to worship. Seventeen, the devil is released for a short time at the end of the millennial kingdom, deceives all who are unbelievers into following him and war warring against Jesus, and they are cooked in the battle of Gog and Magog. So all these people that are born during the thousand years and the population occurs, they individually, each one, need to trust, follow Jesus. There will be ample teaching. I mean, he is there. It'll be easy, but many will not. And when the devil is released for a short time, all those unbelievers, he says, y'all come, we're going to whip Jesus, take over the world. And for some dumb reason, they think they can. <clears throat> I'm going to read, well, I won't either. Uh, Revelation 20, you can read about that, the battle at the end. And it's about as, like the first one, doesn't last long. 18, the great white throne judgment is held. We talked about that last week in detail. So, if... so anybody that's not been judged at this point will be there. We won't be there at the great white throne. 19, the present earth and heavens are destroyed. A new heaven, new earth are created.
20, we all live happily ever after. So that's the order of service. First event is the rapture. After that, we don't have to remember anything. We just go along for the ride. And we end up living happily ever after with lots of cool things in between, lots of things happening. But that's the next event is the rapture. We'll hear the trumpet sound, Jesus saying, come up here. And boom, our bodies change in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and off we head. It's going to be fun. It's going to be cool. And uh, as we head off up to heaven, I'm going to look over and I'm going to see Mike and say, hey, sure glad you get to come. <laughs> and uh, so off we'll be. And then it's going to be amazing, amazing, amazing. And uh, it's because of our faith in Christ, only because of our faith in Christ, that we get to be part of this whole thing. But we do. Looking forward to it. Maranatha. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the hope of eternal life that we have because of what you've done for us. And we're going to stand before you at the judgment seat of Christ and be held accountable for the life we've lived, recompense, rewarded for the deeds we've done in the body, whether good or bad. I pray that you would stir us, motivate us to serve you now well. Um, uh, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.